Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. So I'd like to welcome Jason Prawl to the show today. Jason, welcome. So happy to have you on today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. You know, we've been diving more and more in this podcast on kind of uh, holistic health, uh, longevity, what is it to be healthy, you know, wh- what are things that we can do in our everyday lives? You know, we, so we've had a lot of what I would consider um, really thought leaders in this space uh, coming on, which is a, a kind of a newer direction for this podcast. But it's kind of like, you know, you can't be a good leader. You can't be a good spouse. You can't be a good parent. You can't be a, you really can't be a good anything if you don't have your health. And, and I, you know, my, I have businesses in healthcare, specifically senior healthcare. So I see that quite a bit is like when your health fails, nothing else matters. There is, and you know, I was sharing with you pre-show that, you know, we, we traveled and went on vacation with the family. And of course, um, through the course of coming home on all the wonderful airports and airplanes, we got COVID. So we got to do the week long, uh, stay at home. It wasn't very severe. I mean, it was like a, a cold, but even in that, you just, you know, when your health isn't with you, when you don't feel healthy, when you don't feel vibrant, you just don't really feel like doing much. And so you're just not able to contribute to your family or the world or what, whatever you're choosing to contribute to. You just really can't unless you're feeling good. So I, I'm just amazed and, and fascinated that you've been studying health for a long, long time, but your background, you're a mechanical engineer. How the heck did this the whole thing happen? Well, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, honestly, I did. I, I, followed my heart into a change of career, you know, but, but fundamentally it was had to do with my own health. So I was struggling, uh, with health issues. Uh, it, it actually started for me as early as 13 years old. Mm-hmm. So I had chronic knee issues, uh, knee pain that really couldn't get any answers, uh, for at 13. And I was told, you know, um, I was using, I was using my, my knees too much. I was, I was playing too many sports. Right. So I was told to, to rest. And to me, that didn't make sense. Right. Like at 13 years old, mm-hmm. how, how could this be overuse? Right. Exactly. So, uh, so th- I was already kind of introduced to this kind of, I guess, this gap in the medical system uh, when it comes to these chronic issues. And so uh, fast forward a few years, I had some some skin issues pop up in, in college that, again, I couldn't really get solutions for, couldn't get answers for. And so that sent me on just a track to really figure out what was going on. And that was that was the beginning of like the internet, right? So we mm-hmm. were using web crawler and Yahoo. And, right. um, there wasn't uh, this vast resource uh, and wealth of information like there is now. It was pretty hard to come by. But nevertheless, in that search, I, I kind of uncovered the fact that there was there was really just this, this entire uh, paradigm that I wasn't exposed to. And so as I sort of uh, opened up to that and experimented and explored some of these back then, what I would consider alternative now mm-hmm. or more mainstream mm-hmm. uh, views and, and, and perspectives, um, things started to shift for me. And so with that, I, I, it, it just unraveled basically my entire reality, right? Of what mm-hmm. medicine is, what health is. Um, I mean, a lot of the systems that we have in place and how, how destructive they are, how, how much distortion there is, um, and, and ultimately how to step outside of those. And so that, that just kind of led me on a path to, to really offering help for others in, in my uh, sort of friend and, and family group and, and really 
set me on a, a new trajectory for uh, investigating what it would take to sort of be uh, at first a health coach and then uh, later into functional and integrative medicine. And that's really kind of where I landed. Didn't mm-hmm. get any degrees uh, in, in terms of uh, licenses or anything like that to practice medicine. But nevertheless, I ended up in uh, pretty advanced, you know, functional neurology classes and in all kinds of, of, of advanced classes. And, and really, that's what it took was just a uh, a passion and, and a desire to learn this stuff. And, and once I did, then, then it all became uh, a lot more clear on, on what it is to be sick, what it is to be mm. healthy, where does health come from, right? All these things started to reveal themselves and it, and it got quite simple. And so that's, that's really kind of the, what, what led me away from engineering and into this path of, of functional integrative medicine, holistic health, um, kind of where I am today. And that's so interesting that you don't have a formal medical background. You're not a naturopath, you know, you, but yet still you became your, it sounds like you became your own health advocate first. Right. I mean, and I think that's so often we give away as a society, we give away our advocacy to others and say, Oh, I'm going to trust what this doctor says or trust what this nurse. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, I'm just saying you also have to be proactive and you have to, we, we have to make decisions for ourselves, right? We can't just, you know, there's, there's... Yeah, we walk our own path, right? right like, ultimately, exactly. that's what it is. And and along the way, um, like in any profession, in any expertise, anything you're trying to get good at, um, and I would say health is a skill set, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anything you're trying to get good at, you, you're looking to others at first to figure out what are they doing? What do they know that I don't? Um, and and oftentimes it's because you, you feel inadequate. You're not quite right. sure what the truth is. And so you're searching for that truth through others. And it's a fantastic way to go, right? I mean, doing something completely on yourself would take a really long time right. uh, in most endeavors. And, and there's no different with health, um, particularly in our modern world, mm-hmm. right? In a more natural setting, indigenous setting, so to speak, these things might be a little bit more intuitive. Um, mm-hmm. in, in, our, in our modern world, because we've created such a, uh, an interesting landscape and environment, we have to navigate things in a little bit different way that's maybe not so intuitive and so so yeah i look to a lot of experts um for for guidance for health both on my own mm-hmm. and and also as as a sort of practitioner in training right to to really learn how to uh, operate in a clinical setting mm-hmm. um there's very difficult cases these days you know people have really really complex situations going on and so it's not always easy to figure out how do i approach this and so i, I had tons of mentors along the way um, but nevertheless i was still walking my own path Right. Both for my own health and, and and optimizing that, but but in the people that I was trying to help, right? Mm-hmm. So um, again, even the my mentors and a lot of the people that I looked up to and still study from today, they're not infallible. They're making mm-hmm. mistakes. They don't quite know exactly what to do in every single case. So a lot of this is a feel. It's a it's an intuitive feel, even as a practitioner, to figure out mm-hmm. who's in front of you, what's going on. And there's a lot. There's a big story. You know, it's not like. Um, everything is in the physical realm, right? A lot of this has to do with how we think. Mm -hmm. Um, What are our emotions? What's going on there? What are the traumas that set up these internal conditions that express throughout our life, right? There is so much going on. And and I, so go way beyond that. You know, there's karmic things that, that, you know, Mm -hmm. from the Ayurvedic perspective, there's things that we bring into this life that then get expressed. And I've seen a lot of this uh, in practice. And so it's very interesting to see how deep a lot of this stuff goes. There are intergenerational things that we Mm -hmm. know, even through scientific research now that is being validated from Holocaust survivors that are passing down um, certain gene transcripts. And I mean, it gets very, very deep very quickly, right? So there's so much going on. And so how do we really uh, look at all of this 
with each individual that shows up, right? That's a, it's definitely a skill. There's, there's some skills there that, that, mm-hmm. that can be developed and there's a feel, right? There's an intuitive grasp to what's going on. And, and oftentimes it really is a matter of listening. And if you really, really listen to the person in front of you, listen to the stories that they're telling you, the stories that they're telling themselves, their, their uh, tones, their inflections, their pains, their postures. There's so much from a clinical perspective that you can look at that will tell you that really paint a picture, tell you a story about how to proceed. Hmm. And you know, I think this is becoming more and more common. And the funny thing is a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, this would have been completely the norm, I think, versus it was almost like kind of people to your point, when you talk about like tribes or Um, you know, I was thinking the other day, I was like, you know what? I don't have any rituals in my life. I really don't have any rituals. Like nothing's been passed down to me in other cultures. I'm kind of a mutt, right? And I think a lot of us as Americans were mutts. We didn't, we don't, we were, you know, Swedish or we're French or we're, you know, we've got all this mixture of stuff, but we weren't really passed down things that would help us understand our purpose or help us connect more with other human beings because we don't have a lot of ritual or I don't have a lot. I should say I don't. And from the, when I look around, I don't see a lot of my friends that have a lot of ritual things that we do. And by ritual, I mean like things that ground us into knowing, learning, uh, being more healthy, checking in, tuning in. It's almost like we've cut off some of our intuition or we've cut off our, um, kind of denied our sense of knowingness and leaned into science. It kind of like science took over and it was like, well, no, if you can't prove it, but you can prove a lot of this stuff. I, I mean, I think more and more we're seeing a lot of studies come out that you can actually prove that intuition's accurate, right? That, that it's not just uh, airy-fairy, you know, you know, wave of magic wand. No, there's, intuitions is actually a, is a science in, in and of itself, I would think. What's your experience of that? No question. I mean, I think your point on ritual is a very good one. And it's very interesting when you really think about this topic deeply, you realize that humans, um, in, in sort of in a contrapoint to your, to your, mm-hmm. uh, your point, is that we are full of ritual. This is what humans are. We are nothing but ritual uh, over and over and over. We do habits. We have, yes. ours are just different. And to you, but your point is really, really well made, which is that the fundamental rituals that bring about health, that right. keep us in an aligned state, that really keep us in our alignment, we were lacking those, right? Our mm-hmm. rituals instead are social media. Right. They are checking our emails. We call them bad habits, right? Yeah. Right. We they're, call them bad habits. Ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, but, but what's interesting about them is that they're serving a purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though we might call them bad habits and they're really not contributing to our health in a, in a lot of great ways, they're still serving some purpose, whether that there's some need that, that is getting met. Right. Yeah. When we, we drink our coffee every morning, whether it's with caffeine or without, whether we have whatever our rituals, our habits, um, our patterns are, they're serving some purpose. And so um, this is what a lot of the traditions, whether it be religious traditions, um, non-religious sort of spiritual traditions, or indigenous traditions, all the ancient sort of uh, ways of being, they really established um, these methods and these processes to to really um, ground us in these rituals, right? Because they, there is this fundamental understanding that we we are ritual. Like we, we need these habits and this mm-hmm. is what we will fall into one way or another. And they can either be good habits or they can be bad habits. And so they're setting up these things. 
And you see this a lot with a lot of the religions. The world's religions mm-hmm. are really, really cool to study from a health perspective, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's the fasting stuff, the prayer right. stuff, there's so much going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, taking a day off, right? Uh, these sort of days of Sabbath type of things. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there when it comes to health, right? This sort of idea of giving things up, of, uh, of, of, of turning things over, right, to, to God or to a higher power, to letting go, right, to right. forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at all the world's traditions, and we're now backing them up as science. And so um, I, I couldn't agree more. And when we fall into these, these more um, aligned habits or traditions or rituals, the intuition does come online a lot more. Mm-hmm. You, get an, you get a better feel because you're falling into your natural alignment, right, of who you really are and what's really true. And so we all have the ability to, to, to truly sense what is, what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is a little bit off. That, that's a feeling. That's a, that's a discernment that we can, we, can, we can develop, but we have it internally. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as a kid, you know, we, we don't have it very well. But it's, again, it's a skill that we can attune, that we can develop. Um, and when you do, this is really the self-empowerment that, that comes online, is that you, you don't need anybody else to tell you what's true for you. Right. right? We, have these, we have these universal truths, right? They, they sort of objective truths, and, and they, they exist. And we have subject, subjective truths, subjective reality. So what, what may be true for you is a little bit different than what's true for me, mm-hmm. right? So this is what I think... Um, I see a lot of today, which is there's a lot of this realization of what is my truth, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that deny this idea of there's no your truth and my truth. There's only the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And and my argument to that is they're both correct. Like there is a, a, a grander truth. There are truths that, that are universal and we all have our subjective realities or subjective truths, right? And this particularly pertains to health, right? And the way of being. So there are pe- people that metabolize fats better. There's the people that metabolize carbohydrates better. There's people that do better on fasting that don't do so well on fasting that need, need more regular meals. Some people that sleep longer, some people that sleep shorter. There's all kinds of these variances in how our bodies, our minds, our emotional states express. And so um, I think it's really, really important to develop this inner knowing, this inner truth mm-hmm. so that we can sense, you know, when am I off and, and, and what's, what's true for me? Because everything that people are telling me out there it's going to be a partial truth, right? Mm-hmm, right. Like, most of these things, right? You, especially in the health world, you go out there and there's so much dogma that people are really holding their ground on a ketogenic diet versus a vegetarian diet versus a vegan diet versus a GAPS diet. I mean, there's a million different diets, right? And they all hold some truths depending on context, right? So I think this is what's really interesting to, to play with is start to figure out what is my context? Who am I? What is my constitution? What's true for me today? And that, that what's true for me today may not be true for me a week from now or five years from now, right? Or right. 20 years from now, yeah. right? So things always need to be put in, in terms of context and, and developing that inner guidance system is crucial. And so you just have a pill I can take to take care of all this, right? <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like yeah. work, Jason. <laughs> it like I'm getting tired. You're, you're, you're making You're'll me figure. tired just thinking about all this stuff. So, so, so how does one then go about... Um, because I, you know, as, as, and when you have a project, we should talk about the human longevity project. You studied this, you traveled to places, you did actually a film series based, a documentary film series based on longevity. But when you say longevity, really about good health, right? Good health. What makes you healthy? What keeps you living longer? If you're healthy, theoretically, you're going to live longer and probably some reality, as long as you don't get hit by a car or some other thing happens to you. Right. Um, 
so you know when i when i think about that and think about community and health and all this you know i did ask an expert at one point and he was an expert on longevity i said what's the number one thing you can do to live longer and he paused it was really funny he was on the podcast he paused and he looked and it was almost like he didn't want to answer like like <laughs> this isn't going to be an easy answer but then he said the number one thing you can do is move just move mm. and i was like and and something struck me in, inside me and i was like because one, I was like, I don't want to move. And then two, <laughs> two, I was like, but he's right. If you, if, if I want to, and it, for me, it comes back to these habits and these rituals. If I want to have a different experience of life, I can't keep doing the same thing I'm going to, I'm doing every day. You know, if my habits have got me in a, I'll call it rut or in a way of being, if, if, the, if my habits, if, if one plus one equals two and, and I don't want two anymore, then I have to, to do it different inputs, right? I have, to, I have to yeah. do something different. And so when you're working with people, either individually or in groups, kind of how are you guiding them through this process of how, I mean, because it is so, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, it is so personalized, right? I mean, yeah. based on our blood type and based on our gene, genealogy and based on our DNA and based on, based on all of this stuff, my answer isn't your answer, isn't someone else's answer. So kind of how do you guide people through that? Because it can be very overwhelming and confusing. Yeah, well, you said it at the top of the show, which is that when we are fundamentally ill, when, when right. there's, a, there's a lot of chronic illness uh, taking hold, mm -hmm. it, it really does consume you, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so, so when we're less than optimal, right, then obviously that, that's going to produce less than optimal results as a, as a human, whatever we want to do in life. But when we are chronically sick and there's things going on, it, it can consume you, consume your, your mind, right. your emotional state. It can knock you down. Your physical energy is not there. It, it really, really does keep you in this, in this box. And so first we've got to kind of, we got to get, get out of that. Right. We got to get out of that state. We got to get back to some sort of, and, and, and generally speaking, and this is true for just about anything. It's the positive, uh, it's, it's the moving forward that really is all that is required. For, for many things, right? It's mm -hmm. this feeling of stuck that, that is really uncomfortable. But when we move forward, and whether it's business or relationships or finances um, or health, it's that moving forward that, that really supplies the fuel for, for this continued evolution. And so just moving people forward in their health and getting them out of that, that sort of stuck place is step number one. Mm. After that, then, then it's really about developing self-autonomy. And this is a lot of the work that I do um, is beyond sort of the integrated functional world has to do with um, sort of trauma healing, mm -hmm. um, you know, conditioning, um, some of these things that are maybe more s awakening, so to speak, but it's awakening to themselves. And so we can get in touch with who we are and develop really interesting skills um, based on awareness and using our awareness to track different things in our body. So we can feel into things in our body. Um, we can even feel things in, in other people's bodies. It's, it's really interesting what, what awareness itself can do with some of these sort of advanced practices and using energy and awareness. With that healing, with this sort of waking up of the entire system of the physical body, the emotional body, the energetic body, we can start to gain this autonomy of who I am and, and moving forward on my own. When it comes to longevity, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, the whole point of the Human Longevity Project was not to really necessarily to suggest that it is important to live long. Mm. And this is one of the arguments we see right now with in out of Silicon Valley and some of the tech industry is that we want to live to 150, uh, 200, forever, right? That aging is, is a disease. Right? That's an interesting 
paradigm of thought, right? To think that aging is a disease, right? That means every year you, you're succumbing to some disease, right? Because you're, mm-hmm. you're aging. And, and to me, what we want to do is flip that on its head and really investigate the fundamental philosophy of aging. And so that's why it was important for us to go to these sort of blue zones where mm-hmm. we know we would find a lot of people in their 90s and 100s to ask them about their lives growing up. Right? Because if somebody is 100 years old today, you might be tempted to ask what they're eating, what are they doing, right? But that's not really what contributes to a long life is what somebody's doing at 90 or 95. Right. What you really want to ask about is what were your parents doing before you were born? Mm. What, were, what, what was your birth like? Mm-hmm. How were you raised between the ages of you know, zero and 10? Right. Because those fundamental formative years are actually going to set the stage for your entire life. Mm-hmm. That that is what's important. How were you raised? What were you eating when you were five, right? Um, did you have electricity? You know, mo- anybody that's a hundred years old today, <laughs> right? Didn't have old, they right. They didn't have electricity. Electricity, right? Right. So we need to investigate what their lives were really like. They were subject. They weren't subjected to artificial lighting and mm-hmm. yeah, EMFs and the chemicals to the rate that we are today. So they lived in an entirely different reality. They also didn't have luxuries like cars. So they had to walk everywhere. So right. they lived a very difficult life, although they didn't really know it back then because that's all they knew. Right. Right. And so, um, so it, it, again, I, I, I want to at least somewhat paint a picture of a totally different reality of no refrigeration, no mm-hmm. cars, no electronics. Right. So um, that's something totally different. I wanted to figure out from them what were the secrets to, to living long, but healthy, mm-hmm. you know, what was it was, it, and, and so much of it was simple. It was back to the basics. And a lot of it also had to do with their mindset, the, how much trauma they experienced. They had so much support, even though they lived a difficult life, they had support in terms of their immediate family, usually lots of brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. They had a, a village type setting. So they had, you know, support around them. So, Right now, we live such an individuated life that right. when shit hits the fan, mm-hmm. it feels scary, right? Like right. we may have to file for bankruptcy. We may have to mortgage, you know, take a second mortgage on our house. There's, there's a lot of situations that get real sticky mm-hmm. in our modern world. And so our stress levels were chronically elevated based on that. They lived, in, again, in ritual, right? Mm-hmm. They got up with the sun. Mm-hmm. They worked in the fields. They went to work. Whatever the case was, is generally physical labor. Um, and they went to sleep after the sun went down because what else are you going to do? Right. Right. So their habits, their rituals were guided naturally by the seasons. So they ate by the seasons because they didn't have refrigeration. They had some salt and other, other methods to preserve things, but they were living by the seasons. If they ate animals, they were subjected to what the animal populations were doing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, they live by nature's rules in such an aligned way. We have figured out with our genius in our modern world to, to completely live against nature's rules. Right. So we think, right? But but there's consequences to that, right? And so so again, this is kind of what I wanted to figure out was what were they really doing throughout their lives? Mm-hmm. You know, none of them were meditating, even even in in Okinawa, mm-hmm. they didn't meditate. That wasn't a thing. They didn't do yoga. They didn't do breath work. You know, they didn't do any of these things that we now in our sort of modern world we would consider are unbelievably good and healthy and right. uh, important stress reduction techniques and and right. all these things right they didn't have the devices that we have and they didn't have antibiotics and in, in 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 to a large degree right they had very 
little access to hospitals, um, except for, you know, maybe in the main town, which might've been quite a ways away. Mm -hmm. And so they lived again in a very, very different way. Um, and yet they remained extremely, extremely healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the sort of dark side of the longevity story of the blue zone story is that a lot of people also died young. Right. And so this is, this gets really interesting from a, let's say an evolutionary biology perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Again, this is not something that a lot of people like to talk about because it's not a fun story to tell, mm-hmm. but, but it's, it's like the weak genes died off right? and the really, really strong genes carried on. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you live in that sort of ruthless environment, mm-hmm. right, this brutal real environment in nature, it is like evolutionary biology story where these sort of robust genes that were fit really, really fit for that specific environment because there wasn't a lot of transport, especially like on islands like Sardinia, the people lived there They lived in that very small mountainous region. And they, they kept generation after generation in that region. Mm -hmm. So the, the genes that lived on that, that continued to procreate were really, really fit for that environment. Right. And so of course, by the time we get here, we're going to have really, really strong, robust genes for that environment. Mm -hmm. Now, if you took that person and moved them somewhere else, then perhaps it's only a couple generations before it starts to get back to the mean, right? right. So that, that hundred year old is now yep. dying at, at 75 or 80 or 85, right? right? Which, which is still not bad, but it's not a story anymore. Right. Right. And so, so there's, there's really interesting aspects to the, the longevity story that I think we need to consider. Um, and, and again, back to your earlier point, most of us in, in the West are kind of mutts. We weren't <laughs> right. raised here, right. right? Our genes and our our mitochondria from very different places. Mm-hmm. And so we have kind of a hodgepodge of, of capacity to deal with our modern environment. I mean, I live in San Diego, mm-hmm. right? Do, do I look like somebody who has genes that are optimized for San Diego? Of course, <laughs> right? And, and yet, right. like, why would, why would that story prevent me from a living a long time necessarily? Right. Um, and, and, and controlling sort of this narrative. So, so again, there's a lot of interesting aspects that go a little bit deeper than the, the traditional story. I think moving is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, no question about it, but the, the overwhelming, um, research in terms of what actually constitutes a long life is happiness. Right. That, that, that the Harvard happiness yep. study is, is clearly, um, the, 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 the gold standard in terms of what it is that's going to actually lead to a longer life. And so what you find when you talk to people that are in their nineties, 95, a uh, hundred that are healthy, that are, that are, mm-hmm. you know, and we all, we all age, we all, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. To a 105 year old man who was, couldn't move very well, couldn't hear very well, but he could ride a bike, right? Like that's mm-hmm. pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what you find from them is that they're still enjoying life. Mm-hmm. They still have a reason to get up every day. You know, one gal told me that um, you know, all, all of her friends had died. She was 94. Um, she, her kids were out of the house, gone. Some of them have even, have even passed away. Mm-hmm. I said, what keeps you going? And she said, well, I got to learn this song for the violin class on Wednesday. <laughs> right. And so I thought, you know, like that's, that's the thing. It's right. that, that w- whatever that is, that's what that allows us to live a long time. You have a reason to get up. You're excited about living still. I don't care what you do. You can move, take all these kind of supplements. You can do all these amazing things. But if you don't want to be here fundamentally right. in your mindset, emotional state is, eh, I got to get up today. Right. right. And look, I feel like that sometimes. Yeah, well, of course. Right? I so, think that's part so, of being so like human how, too. So, so the question is, how can I get out of that state right. on a continuous basis, even at my age, even at 41, mm-hmm. how can I wake up every day feeling, ah, I'm glad to be here. That's the trick in my opinion 
to a, a long life. And God willing, you'll get there. But, but again, that's not even a guarantee. Right, of course. And I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, I think it comes back down to your sense of, am I contributing, you know, uh, happiness? What, right? What is happiness, right? Uh, am I contributing? Do I have people that love me? Do I have people that I love? Right. Do I feel, am I part of a supportive, to your point, community that if, when the shit hits a fan, that I, I feel like I am supported and therefore then it reinforces a feeling of love, almost that tribal, that tribal yeah. setting, right? And I think in today's culture, um, you know, I'm working on some stuff right now that hopefully we can get back to more of that feeling, but, uh, or that's not just a feeling, but the, that actual sense of community. But like the house we bought, you know, where we live, it wasn't, we didn't buy the community, we bought the house, right? I mean, we, the house, you know, it had certain things we liked and it was like, it had some outdoor space and it had a lake and we were like, oh, cool, this, so we bought the house and, and, and the neighbors that live around us are nice people, but we don't hang out with them. We don't, and I know that's not the same for every, every person, um, but for the most well, part. But, but even beyond that, mm -hmm. even the people that have good community and, and right? friends, friendships. That's great. Like no question. That is a good thing, mm -hmm. but, but we are not reliant on them. That's, right. that's the difference. That's the uh, huge, huge difference, right? right. Is that mm -hmm. in a lot of these communities, in fact, in, in, in Okinawa, they have something called the Moai. It's a group, it's a small group that, that gets together and basically they commit to each other for life and they all wow. contribute money into a pot. Mm -hmm. And whenever that's needed by one of the people, one of the members in that small group, uh -huh. and it's like 10 or 12 or whatever the number is, but whenever it's needed, in that small group, it goes to them or, or even somebody in their family. Right. So that is support, right? right, right. That's the difference that I, I still, I mean, I've got some people that I can rely on. No sure, question. Of course. Yep. But we don't have like this, this support identifiable system. support structures. And this yeah. is where some of the church structures and some of the, right. the, the religious communities and some of these that are really, really, really beneficial in that regard is because they actually feel like I have a congregation or, or a group of right. people that I actually, that will have my back if things mm -hmm. go wrong. Right. So, so that's really, really different. That's interesting. Yeah. Right. And I don't have that something like that. Right. And I love that. I love, and I don't either. I mean, I, to your point, I feel like I have people that I could certainly rely on and I could pick up a phone and they'd be there for me in a heartbeat, yeah. but that's not quite the same thing as what we're talking right. about. Right. It's, right. I, and I have, I mean, in my life I have some, uh, fragmented pieces of that, but not necessarily a, a cohesive, you know, Oh, okay. This is, this is the a way of life, I guess would be it. Yeah, and I think, exactly. and, and I think as I think COVID and just the world in general, I hope all of this uh, adversity and all of the, you know, for this against this, I, I'm hoping that all of that is bringing about this change because people finally have the catalyst for what do I believe? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? Um, you know, these type things, I hope that's what the current environment is because it, you know, it can seem fairly chaotic, um, at times and it's like, well, but why is it, I keep, you know, I ask myself, why is it chaotic? I mean, because I also notice in that, that I have to get uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable. So then I have to look at why yeah. am I uncomfortable and how do I so. want to relate to that uncomfortable enough, uh, ness. And for me, it typically comes down to faith. You know, for me, it's like my connection with God and my, you know, it's like a constant dance of, do I have faith or do I not have faith? Am I trusting? Am I letting go? Can I let go or am I not going to let go? Because if I'm going to let go, that means it's not my way. It's got to be the way that's going to happen. And then I have to be accepting of that way, knowing that it's not my way, <laughs> right? Um, which is usually right. better, but it's sometimes, you know, it, but in the minute it's hard. And, and I think in the longer scope of life, you can look back and say, oh, everything worked out perfectly. But in the minute, it doesn't seem necessarily like it's working out. So that's right. Yeah. And I and, think, and, and, and 
Yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, and, and I think part of that supportive community that we've been uh, talking about is getting that feedback when you're in those spaces. Yeah. It's kind of like an instant feedback loop. You know, you read about or you hear about like high-performing athletes, high-performing anything, get almost instant feedback on what they're doing. If I'm a top NFL quarterback, guess what? I'm getting feedback every single play. I'm getting feedback on my performance versus when we're just living life. We very rarely have people that give us honest feedback that is not based on some agenda that they have to try to convince us to do something else, right? Yeah. Yeah. There there's, we've, we really have, again, it's, it comes back to this sort of isolation, um, mentality. And, and in fact, when I was in Okinawa, there's one gal, um, that, uh, very, very wise woman, she was in her seventies, but she was talking about, um, the differences between American and, and Okinawan culture. Mm-hmm. And, and that was one of the things that she pointed to was this individuated aspect mm-hmm. of living. She said, you guys, you guys build walls and you, you, you remove yourself from others. And, and, and it's, I mean, just, I mean, just walls and fences around our right. houses. Yeah, yeah. We, we contain ourselves and we separate ourselves. And she was pointing this idea that like, that is really keeping you stuck. Right. Um, and it is this need that you know, we need one another. And, and a lot of this is very deep cultural things that, mm-hmm. that I think are shifting, right? It's something yeah. I, I really am seeing a, a huge shift in is there's more of these sort of self-organizing collectives, these people mm-hmm. coming together. And even if it's things like retreats and, and stuff, you're starting to see more of this. Mm-hmm. We just want to get back in touch with others who are like-minded, who, who we can count on. Um, and again, I think even the, even the religious kind of aspects are starting uh, to revive a little bit in, in the United States I'm seeing, right? So there's, there's more of this desire to, to connect via these groups into, into something greater, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a big one that, that shows up in, in the blue zones um, is that they all have something that they're, that they're, they all have a greater power. Right. That they're turning things over to. Right. So not only is it is it an outlet, right? Of like I can turn everything over to God. Right. Right. And in the in the Okinawan tradition, they, it's a Shinto sort of practice, which is not necessarily religion. It's more kind mm-hmm. of along the line of a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. But but still, it's is very similar in what they're doing. And they can turn everything over. Right. Mm-hmm. They can pray. They all believe in sort of ancestors. Right. Um, they they um, there is a, a fundamental trust mm. in in life. Mm-hmm. The, the, I asked a lot of them, you know, how is it? And why do you think you've lived this long? And and many of them said it's up to God. Right. Right. Like, I said, oh. I, I'm just, I'm just going. Right. Like, right. Wherever I go, I go. Like, they have no, and this was a, this was a really important aspect, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I think what, there is a little bit of a, um, a distortion in, in, in the U S when it comes to living long. So many people are trying to get X number of years or they right. think that that's what's going to matter. And it's, and they're forgetting that it's, it's actually only right now that matters. Right. And I know that sounds very sort of hippy dippy kind of cliche. You know, yes, yeah. Yeah. Right. But, but, yeah, but it's true. And, and it <laughs> it's cliche it and it's true. Really, really true <laughs> right. right. Because we right. get so stuck in the past with all of our traumas that are guiding all of our, our habits and our thoughts. And these are, that means we're literally stuck in the past, mm-hmm. right? There's aspects of us that are stuck in the past. And of course we're worried about the future. We're right. constantly planning for and thinking about um, and organizing our life based on the future. And, and, and I'm not making any of that wrong, but, but we sometimes forget that, that right now is really important. So what am I feeling in my body right now? What's present right now? Right? What are the emotions that are alive right now? Right? Um, and and how, can I, how can I accept and be grateful for the things that I have right now? Right? So often, I mean, all of us, I mean, I'm, I'm guilt, as guilty as anybody else, we're striving for something better. We're, we're always working right. toward the next thing. Right. right? And I, I have a fear, truly, I do have a fear that when I get to that 
point in my life where I'm in my 80s, 90s, mm -hmm. uh, God willing, that I'm going to look back and go, man, I was just way too worried about the next thing. Like I've kind of forgot too mm -hmm. often to just be present here right now. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's another aspect that I think is interesting when you go travel to these blue zones and you go travel to these regions of the world in a way that isn't vacationing, right. you know, when you're actually just there, you realize the environment is actually informing your biology. It's informing mm -hmm. your thoughts, informing your emotional state. And what I mean by that is, is that it's like you're driving down the freeway. If, if, if everybody's going 70 miles an hour, you kind of have to go 70, 70 miles right? an hour. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. For you to go yep. 25 miles an hour. Right. 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 But if you're driving down a dirt road mm -hmm. and, and 25 mile an hour is the, is the norm, it's dangerous to go 70, right? right? And it feels very uncomfortable and it's not, doesn't, right. it's not cohesive. And so you kind of go at the pace of your environment. So when you're in New York City, sure, you can try to slow things down, but everything around you is naturally speeding right. up your energy, your thoughts, your whole process. And eventually you will start to flow in that. Mm -hmm. Vice versa, when you go to these blue zones, you start to naturally slow down. Your entire biology slows down. Everything slows down. So it's easier to relax. It's easier to, mm -hmm. to reduce stress, right? Um, and time literally feels like it's longer. Like it, it, your day feels longer. And so uh, that's an interesting quality that I, that I could perhaps mentally um, track. Mm -hmm. But when I'm there and I'm experiencing it, it really hit me. Because when we're in Costa Rica and we're working, I'm checking my email, I'm doing all the things that I would normally do in the States. Right. You know, we've got 10 days and I got to go find a bunch of hundred year olds. <laughs> right. It's not easy. <laughs> right, and my right. Spanish is, go is time. pretty suspect. Right. right. So <laughs> I'm, I'm literally knocking on doors. There's not like a database of like a hundred year olds. I, right. you know? And so I'm, I'm walking around trying to find these people. And so there's a timeline. We're crunched. Right. And yet every morning I had time to drink my coffee on the porch and walk to the store or whatever I needed mm -hmm. to do. And, and it felt like time was just creeping along. Huh. And so, that was interesting. And then when we landed in Houston airport, right. Coming back from Costa Rica, all we were, we, we hadn't even gone through customs yet. And I already felt this like buzzing. My nervous system was being pinged right. by all the stimuli around me going at a hundred miles an hour. And I thought, Oh my God, this is what I live in. And I didn't realize it like a fish in water. You just don't realize right, that it's exactly. Wet, yep. Right. And yep. so, so that is an interesting aspect to longevity, I think, again, is not really discussed because it's hard to change. Mm -hmm. I can't just change my environment. I can, I can move locations, but if I move locations and I go into a slower part of the country, for example, and I don't know anybody, again, I'm sacrificing community mm -hmm. and loved ones, right? And perhaps mm -hmm. my lifestyle. So there's, there, there's often a trade-off. I can go move to a blue zone, right? Right. You go to Greece. It's a beautiful, amazing place. I don't speak the language. So I'm going right. to lose a lot in that process, right? So right. this is where it starts to get it's not so easy to just go to uh, a, a, the most beautiful place on the planet and think you, that if by living there and you're dipping in their, their uh, amazing uh, heated waters and you're eating what they eat and you, no, it doesn't work like that, right? Like there's so much to it. And again, most of it comes back to, unfortunately, how we were raised between preconception and mm -hmm. 10 years old. And if that was chaotic, if that had a lot of distortion, not a lot of alignment, then we do have an opportunity. Fortunately, we are really resilient that we can uh, we can fix, we can uh, amend a lot of those those issues that may have been there. Mm -hmm. uh, but that is where the work comes in, right? And, yep. and unfortunately, there's no way around it. Like work is just a part of 
being human, just like suffering and, and, and love and, and a lot of the other beautiful things about being human, but, but we must work and it's external work, but, it, but more importantly, in my opinion is the internal work. Totally. Great stuff today. You, I know you've got a summit coming up. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun one. Um, it's called the ultimate holistic health summit, latest breakthroughs you haven't heard of. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, these are some of the most interesting aspects of regenerative medicine that, uh, I think is available today. So things like stem cells and peptides, um, we talk about nitric oxide, we talk about, um, uh, fascial decompression. Um, there's so many aspects that, that we cover that are really interesting. Um, counter strain therapy, uh, high dose melatonin, right? These are, these are sort of regenerative medicine. It's kind of ancient, uh, technologies and modalities that, mm-hmm. that, that are available to us that are kind of making a revival. Mm-hmm. And then some of the modern stuff, whether it be through therapeutics or, um, advanced technologies like pulse electromagnetic field therapy. Oh yeah. I had, um, what, who's the gentleman I just had him on the other day. Um, the, Dr. Pollock, maybe? Yeah, yeah, Dr. Pollock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had Dr. Yeah. Pollock on the other day, and we were t- when you yeah. said that, I was like, it's oh, great. yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, he had me going yeah. on that. I liked it. It was fun. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. it's it's a fantastic therapy. And so th- th- we're at this really cool juncture, I think, in, in human health, which is that we have a lot of problems, no question. Right. But our, our technology is becoming so advanced. We're, we're developing so many amazing tools and techniques that we can utilize to sort of offset all the chaos that we're causing in our lifestyles without forgetting that there's old methods and old mm. aspects that we can bring forward too. So we can really bring forward these, these sort of ancient technologies, ancient ways of, of healing, uh, as well as introduce some of these new modalities, new techniques. And so um, whether it's the physical body with something like fascial decompression, which is amazing, something called block therapy. I had Deanna Hansen on, uh-huh, yeah. creator of block therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, amazing, amazing way to to release a lot of adhesions and tensions that are right. held in the body at the deep fascial layers mm-hmm. that, that even go beyond things like rolfing and rolfing is a fantastic technique that I would recommend to just about anybody. But these things release traumas right. and, and, and emotions. I mean, you can, you can have some really, really interesting releases mm-hmm. um, just from, from stimulating and moving some of the adhesions that are in stuck in the physical body itself. So, um, so yeah, we cover a, a ton of different therapies and, and tools that I think are, are really fascinating that most people haven't heard of, right? I mean, high dose melatonin is one of these. Yeah, I have not. Yeah, like, I hadn't heard most that. people are like, what? Like, yeah. why would you take that? You know, and, and the thing is just for sleep, but, but melatonin is the most powerful antioxidant that the body makes. Mm-hmm. And so we can use it for uh, unbelievable uh, reduction in chronic inflammation, mm-hmm. uh, mitochondrial support. Mm. Uh, it, it's fundamental for, for gut healing. So it, melatonin is a really, really interesting molecule that doesn't seem to have any negative feedback loops. Um, it doesn't have what they call an LLD50. They can't mm-hmm. figure out a dose that's going to kill you, mm. right? So mm-hmm. we figured that out with just about everything, table salt, <laughs> uh, vitamin B12, right. you know, like all these things we figure out, okay, what's the limit, right? right. And then let's let's take half of that. Right. Let's take, that's the, the lethal yeah. dose, right? The 50% of the lethal dose. Right. And there is none for melatonin. We can't find it. Huh. Um, and, and even when people really, really jack it up into astronomical levels for uh, a reasonably long period of time, there's really no negative hmm. reports. There's no consequences. Hmm. And there's some fear articles out there on the internet, just like anything else. Right. But I have clinical practice with it. I've worked with it myself. It's really, really fascinating. And so hmm. there's some of these tools. And it's a cheap thing to, to right. incorporate yeah, yeah, that anybody yeah. can incorporate relatively safely. Right. So we could have yeah, a whole so show a on that, cool, it sounds a lot like. Of tools out there. <laughs> we could have a whole show just on that, it sounds like. You, you could, yeah. There's so a lot of cool things. How do how do people find out about the summit? Where do they go? Yeah, they can go they can go to um, summit 
www.awakencollective.com. Um, and it's a, it's a free summit. So that's, okay. that's, what's beautiful is that it's, it's free for an entire week. We're, we're releasing five talks every day. Uh, each, each interview is available for 24 hours. So, um, there's 35 interviews in total. They're all really, really fascinating. Um, all you have to do is, is register, just put your name and email and, and you can watch it all for free. Perfect. Sounds awesome. And we'd love to have you back on the show. So it sounds like there's a lot more we could talk about. So thank you so much for coming on the day and uh, please keep us informed and let us know how the summit went. And then also as, uh, yeah, I think we'd love to have you just come back on and talk about different, uh, get into different specific things that you do, like you, like you just talked about with Melatonin. It'd be fascinating just to have a whole show just about something like that. So yeah, uh, we'd love love to. Yeah. Just let us know. We'd love to have you back on. Thank you so much, Jason, for coming on the show today and best of luck on the summit. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, B-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening.